You may ask me anything in my Father's, in my name, and I will do it. It's an amazing assurance and promise. That's where we hopefully will land at the end of our reflection this morning on these passages that we've had before us. The way in which the Anglican service is shaped is that after the first Bible reading, we then have a psalm, which is not the same as a Bible reading of the psalm, it's a liturgical psalm. I think you now know that. So we have a response to the psalm. The psalm is chosen to provide a reflection on the first reading. And that was beautifully reflected in our readings this morning. Have the very moving account of the stoning of Stephen and his death and his final words, into, my, into your hands I commend my spirit. He's quoting from Psalm 31, which we just heard. At that moment, the Psalms so permeate his faith and his life, they provide the words. Of course, he wasn't the first to do so. Jesus himself upon the cross used exactly the same words at the moment of his death. I want to reflect on the three readings, but to draw just one theme out of them in particular. And uh, there's so much within them. They are very profound in their own right. Uh, Stephen's death comes at the end of a long address, the longest speech that's recorded in the book of Acts that gives an overview of God's missional purposes, how he has been working from the time of Abram right through to the present day and culminates with the claims about Jesus and the rejection of Jesus for which the leaders are responsible But I want to focus in particular on the word and the importance of glory. It actually is there in each of the readings. But what do we mean by glory is what I want to just touch on. Though I can't give you an easy picture of saying that is what glory is. It's a bit like the sunlight. Light reveals things that are glorious, but you can't actually identify the source of that glory in itself. As I was preparing last night, there was a certain event happening. It was a significant event, a moment of great pageantry, an intentional moment of drama. I was fascinated to see that the part of Westminster Abbey that was set aside was called the Theatre of Coronation, and theatre it certainly was, with many long-established traditions as well as some more recent innovations within that space. I was struck by the theme of glory and what we mean by what is truly glorious. Send them happy and glorious, victorious. A lot of the imagery is behind it. But there's no doubt that this was a Christian service conducted by the Archbishop of Canterbury on behalf of the church that is the established church in England, speaking for the people in the various moments. There's many different parts of the the liturgy that are fascinating, especially for those who have a love of pageantry. But one of the striking moments was when Samuel Strawn, a child of His Majesty's Chapel Royal, addressed the king. 
his words, Your Majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. To which the king replied, In his name and after his, after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. One of the hallmarks of the service that was reflected in much of the, the key moments, the anointing privately behind the screens and the stripping away of all the robes of regalia. There was a profound truth that the opening words of the Archbishop of Canterbury in his homily stated very clearly, we are here to crown a king. And we crown a king to serve. This is not kingship for the sake of kingship. This is not kingship as a demonstration of power and of all the trappings of, of uh, all that could come with it. It, is, it was a service and a calling laden with responsibility and the acceptance of responsibility. In actual fact, the coronation service doesn't make the king the king. The king was the king in the moment that the previous monarch, the queen, died. And that was recognised within 48 hours that was confirmed. And the king has been the monarch since this time. Interestingly, the British uh, royal traditions is the only European nation to have a coronation. The others have all ceased to have coronations and they have very simple uh, occasions just to affirm the undertakings of that particular role. And that certainly says something about the British and their love of pageantry and the fact that they probably do it better than anyone else <laughs> with all the traditions. But it also makes a statement that what happened in the service was not creating a king but actually it was asking of that king to accept the responsibilities of that role. And they were responsibilities of service. It was enforced time and time again. You are a king who is to serve, and you are to serve after the example of the great king. His example of kingship models the type of leadership and the sort of role that we reflect. It's that notion that I want to tease out a bit further, both by the story of uh, um, Stephen's death and who he was modelling. He was modelling himself on the great king, on Jesus. So what does glory look like? It's one of those words of... Uh, keep looking for books to buy on the theme of glory, hoping it's going to tell me what glory actually is. And I did another search last night. There's been some recent publications. There's a terrific 500-page text I've bought recently on the theme of glory, except it doesn't actually say what glory is. <laughs> and part of the reason is that you can't define it. You can't limit it. There are so many different dimensions to this notion of glory. Things are glorious when they reflect something that is good. So where we see a sporting achievement that may be uh, outstanding, we say this is glorious. When we see 
different um, moments. Maybe it's the sunset or maybe it's uh, looking out upon the valley or a sky. And we can say that is glorious. When we may sit through a musical performance and we just, you have that pause at the end. You know, when it's, you don't want to leap into the applause too quickly. You just want to stay in that moment. It is glorious. All different types of things. That's a beautiful, naive painting in the top right-hand corner, courtesy of Fiona's Facebook page, which actually is a lovely supply of paintings. It's a naive version of Australian Outback. And you just look at it and you think, that is so clever, that is so well achieved. We can point to things and say they are glorious, but it's truly the source of that glory that the Bible takes us. My version of glory, and I haven't seen this anywhere else, so you can take it for what it's worth. But when God does what God does, it is glorious. When God's will, God's purpose is enacted, it is glorious. It is good. It is seriously good. It is exceedingly good. So how do we describe the mission and ministry of Jesus as good? Now, that happens to be a very humble ring. It's my bishop's ring. I was going to hold my ring up to the microphone, but that mightn't have helped you get any better view of it, so I <laughs> thought I'd better put it up on the screen. And there's symbolism behind that. The, the symbol in the centre is the historic symbol for Christ. And I have four letters, A-M-D-G. Ad Maiorum Deum Gloriam. AMDG is a historic four letters reflecting those Latin words which mean to the greater glory of God. It is a reminder that all that we do, and for me it's a reminder in my ministry and especially in my Episcopal ministry, that it's all about bringing glory to God, not about ourselves. And it's actually uh, not a bad motivation or focus for us all to have in our life. It actually appears in quite a few, um, probably on the foundation stone for St. Matthew's Church, if we were ever to discover it. It may well have AMDG (laughs) on it. It's a very common statement. But it's more than just a, a statement. It actually is a commitment. It's an undertaking. It is a responsibility. Jesus, on the night where he's just washed the disciples' feet and told them this is an example of the the type of ministry that he has come to do. He has come to serve. The night of the Last Supper, the night when he would be betrayed and handed over, he spoke to his followers and said, what is about to happen will trouble you. Jesus, even speaking about it in the Last Supper, the mood settled and became very somber. And Jesus promised them that I go ahead for you and I'm preparing a place for you in my father's household and I'll come back and take you to myself. He says to Thomas, you know, says to all of them, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know what the way. <laughs> Tell us the way. Those famous words of Jesus, I am the way truth in the life 
As the passage continues, we have this bit towards the end. And Jesus answered Philip and said, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I want to highlight just a few words within that. Jesus then says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. It's one of those little windows into that mystery of the Trinity, the relationship between Father, Son and Spirit, that we can't nail down. We, we glimpse it and recognise that they work as one. They exist as one. And the mission and ministry that they undertake are as one. So Jesus is making it clear that what is about to happen is a working of the Father, a working of God, even though the horrors of what was about to happen were yet to really be uh, perceived. And so we come towards the end of this uh, recording by John of Jesus' words. He finishes up by saying what we just uh, highlighted at the start, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it which sort of sounds like an amazing blank check, you know. It's like imagining you go and ask Father Christmas for whatever you like and you'll get it. Although when we stop and place it in its wider context, it's close to what St. Augustine said, love God and do what you like. St. Augustine, love God and do what you like. Meaning, if you're loving God... What you like will be what God likes. When Jesus says, you ask me for anything in my name, that means within the mission and ministry that I'm calling you to. It's not the blank check. It's actually about as you step out in mission and ministry, I'm not throwing you out there and leaving you to fend for yourselves. You're working on my behalf. I will provide for you for all that I'm asking of you in mission and ministry. You are to ask for that. So the, the, uh, the, the words to take note of in this sense, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That is to say the extension of the kingdom continues through the physical body of Christ through the people. We are now the body of Christ. That's why we highlight it in our service. What we see in this glimpse, what is truly glorious, is a glimpse of heaven upon earth. And that is exactly where Stephen picks it up. Stephen, in this key moment, as he's gone through a long address, a long speech, and he started off on the theme of glory. He said, right at the start, my fathers and brothers in the Sanhedrin. We know Father Abraham was called by the God of glory when he was in Haran. He was, wasn't even a God-fearer at that stage, but God revealed him in his glory. And that started the whole mission that had worked in and through Abraham and his family and so has continued to work ever since. But it's when Stephen got to the point of highlighting that they had a habit of rejecting and killing the prophets who God was sending because they wanted to be focused on their own glory, their own well-being, that they turned against them. They were incensed. 
And the contrast becomes clearer. You have a picture of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin almost paraphrasing only very slightly, frothing at the mouth. The phrase actually is, they were so angry, their heart was being sliced in two, they were so venting. And you have Stephen looking up to heaven. Heaven is where God's purposes are reality. It is the glory of heaven. So he saw the glory of God. A powerful phrase there. And what did the glory of God look like? It was Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now there is an irony in that statement. Jesus, when he was before the same Sanhedrin and asked about the charges that are brought against him, said he foretold a time when the Son of Man will be in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And at that moment, they were enraged at Jesus and said, how dare you? Stephen's actually saying, I can see heaven, and exactly the one who you rejected is where he prophesied. He is at the right hand of heaven. (laughs) It is a fulfilment of the prophecy of Jesus. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. There's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that I keep coming back to because it is just so profound and appeals to my imagination. Now, obviously, all the Lord's Prayer is very profound and significant. But you know those opening lines, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are reminded of when we gather to worship, when we gather in church, where we have the ministry of the word and of prayer and of praise and music, is we see heaven's doors open. We just glimpse heaven. And to do that on a regular basis when we gather together lifts us up. And it's great when we can leave church and saying, I just had a taste of heaven as we go out into the realities of the world. We pray that your will be done because it is good, it is glorious, it is life-giving. We pray that that would happen on earth as much as it does in heaven. And that should start with us. I really pray for that passion in our worship that we bring together, that we so encourage each other with that glimpse of what life looks like when God's will is done. So when we go out into the world, into the realities of life, we have that moving us, just as it moved Stephen at this moment and gave him a peace at this moment of his execution, of his being stoned. Even in that space, Stephen found peace. He saw the glory of God. And there he found the peace that God alone can give. It was in that spirit that he was then able to pray while they were stoning him, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That is dedication. That is glorious. He fell to his needs, echoes the words of Jesus when he was being crucified. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. 
And when he said this, he fell asleep. Notice he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He recognized that the one who had made the promises, like in John 14, was the one to whom we can trust. And there we find peace. This is so deep and profound. It goes so far beyond my head into that space that words defy. But as we gather together, we encourage each other. The more we behold God and the mission of God, the way of God, the type of kingship that Jesus embodies, the more we respond by saying, that is good. That is seriously good. That is glorious. So, I'm going to nudge June... And this wasn't a, uh, an error in my preparation of the slides. What better way could we respond to this than to sing the words of the doxology? So at this moment, would you stand with me as we sing to the glory of God? remain standing. <laughs> 